Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. My name is Greg McDonough. I'm the CEO and founder of Blackburn Capital Advisors and the chapter president of the Washington, D.C. Entrepreneurs Organization. Today's guest is the founder and principal of Life on Your Terms and the Entrepreneurial Advisors, a strategic advisory and management facilitation firm that works with leaders in the U.S. and across Europe. He's the author of two of my favorite books, The Aspiring Solopreneur, Your Business Startup Bible, and A Fable, Life on Your Terms, Discover What's Next. Our guest has been in the trenches running businesses for more than 35 years, ranging from consulting, real estate, online services, counseling, advertising, financial services, and many more. He has helped thousands of leadership teams achieve more than they've ever thought possible using simple tools, candid facilitation, and unique stories. Please welcome Chris Kluver. Holy smokes, man. Greg, thank you so much for having me on. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great to have you. I've been... uh, Truly enjoying reading your books and, and applying it to my life. So thank you for offering that to our community. Um, Chris, my podcast is about leadership. But my favorite question I always lead off with is tell me some misconceptions around leadership. I think there's three. And uh, as somebody who's been doing this for a long time, I have my 55th birthday coming up. Um, I think that the three main things that come up is one, a lot of people think that as a leader, I have to know everything. And you know what? You don't. You have to have the confidence to say, I'm not sure, but let's figure it out. But it's it's having that confidence and that vulnerability to say, I don't know, that, that starts to show true, genuine leadership. Um, the second is that a lot of people think, oh, well, leaders are just born. And I don't think that's the case. I think certain parts of charisma, there are certain attributes that can be born, but there are amazing leaders who aren't very charismatic. There are very charismatic people who are very terrible leaders. So making sure that they're always sharpening their tools, the best leaders are always reinvesting in in themselves and always trying and striving to get better. And then the third thing, and this is what I've learned through the Life on Your Terms programs, is that there's a giant misconception that business leaders, if you're really successful, you're going to be a train wreck at home, or it's really hard to have it all. And I think that's BS. I think that actually you can have it all, but you have to be very intentional about it. And you have to be very self-aware and be very proactive as you grow with that. But when you do, and I've seen this over and over and over, is that when you start looking at at your life on a holistic level, the success levels start to expand exponentially. So those would be my three sort of main misconceptions that I see consistently. That's fantastic. Um, You know, you you struck a chord with me on your first point around knowing everything and building confidence. And I suspect we've got audience members today listening to our podcast who are considering a leadership role or a leadership opportunity, or it's just come to them and they don't have the confidence or they're still building their confidence. Talk to us about building confidence as a leader. So I think a lot of times leaders get sucked way deep into the weeds and, you know, and And it's sort of our default setting for most of us is to work harder. You work hard, you get promoted, that is sort of the Peter principle. 
but it's leaders that actually need to transition from doers to thinkers. How do they become the teachers, the facilitators, and the coaches? And it's by that nature that if they can take that breath and step back and say, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. always be taking a step back and trying to look at the global picture. Overall, what are we looking to do? Because maybe you don't know. I think it's okay to say, I'm not sure. Or another a technique that you can get around this with is you can pretty simply say, hey, you know what? I've got a few ideas, but let me tell me what you think. What are your thoughts? I don't know specifically what it is, but it's a way of, of almost facilitating the conversation. And leading doesn't mean doing. Leading means helping others figure out what is the solution we need. And the reality is, is if you can get your team to start coming up with what those solutions could be, they're going to have a hell of a lot better buy-in and your likelihood of, of success grows up. But but Greg, what do you think? Does that make sense to you? It, it totally makes sense to me. And, and as a, a finance person, right? I I've, I've, was born in the debits and credits world, accounting, finance, you name it. And one of my challenges over my career was that transition from living in my spreadsheets, doing the work to how do I help others understand what we're trying to accomplish and running a team. In fact, I had, I've hired my coach for that specifically 15 years ago. It's like, I got to stop being the finance guy and really start being the organizational leader. And so I think you're absolutely right. I, I think one of the key points though, and I, I is it's okay to say, I don't know. But you've got to have you've got to have the confidence and the presence that says, I'm not sure, but I'm damn sure we're going to figure it out. I have no question we're going to figure it out. And and having that sort of confidence empowers people because if you're if you try and like wiggle your way through and people see it and they call BS on you, that's bad. But if you're like, I'm not sure, but I'm I'm 100 percent confident we're going to figure it out. What do you think? How do you think we should approach it? How do we start breaking it down? And having that spirit of curiosity to solve those problems. Very well said. So in your second point, you also talked about um, reinvesting and learning as a leader. Can you walk us through some avenues or places that you go to reinvest in yourself as a leader? Sure, sure. And, and where this comes out of is, is I believe that we only have three things on the planet we can leverage our time, our talent, and our treasure. And, and our treasure is what we always focus on, our money, our stuff, and all that, but it's the most fictitious. We can beg, borrow, steal it, piss it away, lose it, whatever. It's, it's, it is there, but it's the easiest metric as an accountant to track. Mm -hmm. Our time is our most valuable asset because it decreases by every second. So we need to be incredibly wicked and uptight about protecting our time. But it's our talent our talent is the one thing, as long as we don't lose our marbles, we can always be sharpening the saw. And that's something that we can never lose. We can always be expanding our toolbox. We can always be sharpening the saw. We can be figuring out how to do those things better. Our job as senior leaders is to figure out how do we look at things differently? How do we solve those problems in better ways? How do we help improve our, our teams? How do we streamline our systems? How do we figure that out? So it really depends on the individual, but I, I know with EO, EO has been an, an incredible source, you know, the entrepreneur organization for, for resources of places to go. But it is amazing when you decide that you want to start learning something and have a little, you know, 
dive into other areas. I'm working on some spirituality stuff now, which seems kind of crazy, but it's cool to start exploring what's out there. It's way off the deep end and off the wall, but I'm curious. I don't know that I buy into a lot of it, but I'm curious about what some of these alternative type things are. Those are going to help me become a better person, just as, you know, going with EO to Harvard Business School and learning how to become a better, you know, do strategy better. Or when I went and, you know, did a course on uh, with the 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 same coach that uh, Tony Robbins uses to become a public speaker, that helps improve my skills there. And I also, I but I try and invest about 20% of my time. I read a lot. I do a fair amount of online courses. I'm doing a deep dive right now on click funnels and online marketing because it's an area that I have some opportunity to learn more about. But if it's something that you're curious about that you're going to benefit from, doesn't mean you have to do it, but it's going to make you much stronger when it comes to making decisions and creating a team around those other areas in certain certain ways of looking at it. It's a it's kind of where I go. But but what do you does that make sense? I guess. Yeah, it, it totally makes sense, um, and it really plays into the next question I was coming up with. And I'll give back up a little bit. Right, you mentioned that you spend about twenty percent of your time investing in your talent and learning and reading and webinars and click funnels and those types of things. And clearly for you, that's very intentional, right? I, I suspect you look at your calendar and you say, okay, I'm going to do 20% here, 20% here and 60% here. So talk to us about, and you mentioned just a few minutes ago about protecting your time. And I'm a huge believer in that as well. Like time blocking for me is one of my tools that I use in order to not go crazy. Talk to us about what you also do to protect your time. So this isn't necessarily um, the most, uh, uh, I won't say politically correct, but it's not the, it's not a trendy thing right now. But I think our phones are, are one of the biggest time hijacks there is. And, and whenever I work with a leadership team, we start with a tool called a, a balance wheel. And through that balance wheel, it's an electronic version. And actually, I'll give it to your, your listeners for free on that. But it helps people define where are we in balance, where we win and where we lose it. The reality is, is most of the time people start off with challenges around time. And if you look at the core of that, a lot of it comes down to how we're, how we're sleeping. And I know this sounds so basic, but if we can get better sleep, I have a CEO of a, of a billion dollar market cap public company that I coach two to four times a week. And he and I had, we butted heads hard for the first year, but now he will sit there and, and he will flat out say, that his biggest competitive advantage is that he gets a good seven to eight hours of sleep a night because then it helps him make the right decisions. It helps him prioritize what he should and shouldn't be doing. It empowers him to say no more. So so some very basic, some super simple things is keeping any electronics out of your bedroom. Deciding that if I'm going to stay up for this extra hour, well, would I get up an hour earlier to watch this episode of this show? Probably not then that's a pretty good rubric that says, maybe I should go to bed now. But if we can start sleeping better, have set it clearer intentions, gratitude when you go to sleep, when you wake up, that starts that very basic piece. But when you wake up in the morning, how you look at the day and what the intentions you set for the day, and then sitting there maybe quietly for, for a half hour with a cup of coffee, I meditate every day and think about what are the things that I should be doing what are the, what a have to do's, should do's, and nice to do's. 
And that can then help lead to how you prioritize the rest of your day. But the other piece is that I've had an assistant for years and her primary obligation is to manage me, which is a handful, but she manages the, my calendar and we block out certain times and those are sacred times. And she knows that. So she protects that, but it really comes down to how can we say no more? I kind of rambled on that, but is that sort of where was that sort of a similar area where you go or? Absolutely. And, you know, one of my favorite books is The Morning Miracle. Um, and I'm a big fan of Warren Rustan's 10, 10, 10 and, and all these morning rituals. And when I'm at my best, I'm following. And when I'm not at my best, I'm not. And that's one of the reasons why. But one of the things that I've concluded that, at least through my own experience, it's not just about the morning routine. It's truly, and this is to your point, it's about the morning routine starts the night before. So if you can have a solid going to sleep, resting of the day exercise, it really concludes at the morning, right? So whatever you do, your meditation in the morning, your coffee, your walk, that's sort of the conclusion of the recharge that has started the night before. And to your point, if you're sitting on the couch at 1130 at night with a glass of wine in your hand and some Cheetos, you're probably not going to have the greatest morning experience. And so for me, I try to think of that, you know, that eight to 10 hour block of time from when you find you decide you're going to rest and when you're ready for the next day. I, I, I very much agree. And I think, and this is something that I, I really preach, but I think the most, if you were to do one thing different in your life, I think you can actually bend time. I mean, it's crazy what I think you can do with this. But I think the greatest gift we can give anyone, a spouse, a business partner, an employee, a kid, ourselves, is to be 100% present with whatever we're doing. Mm -hmm. The idea that there's a great book called The One Thing that talks about time hijacks and multi, you know, there's all these things that uh, multitasking is a total myth. But I believe if you're sitting there and engaging with somebody, if you look into their soul and talk to them and have a real spirit of curiosity and listen and engage, you can do more in five minutes than you can do in a full hour where you're exercising your thumb going, uh-huh, yeah, right, okay, uh-huh, sure, so, uh-huh, right. Uh -huh. So, so being able to do that kind of focused intention, taking the time to close your laptop, and then talk to your employees. Let me finish, do this. If you're working on whatever you're working on, devices off or airplane mode for an hour. But it's that time blocking, but it's, it's being ultra, ultra present. If you're screwing around, go screw around with total abandon and have a, but be 100% present. Don't be thinking kind of about work and kind of about this. You know, we briefly talked about your recent vacation before, but how can we, when you're, when you're working, work. When you're screwing around, screw around with 100% focus. And I, it sounds silly, but I think, I think we can bend time and we can get more out of it in that you can get more, more from that time frame. But it, it also helps clarify our priorities. Yeah, one of my, my deep core values to that point is collapsing time. If you can do something shorter, faster, quicker, but as effective, go for it. And one of the ways to do that is 100% attention and focus on what you're doing in that moment. And then when you've got random time, be random to your point, right? So Chris, let's dig a little bit deeper into your balance wheel. Um, talk to the audience about 
the concept, how you came up with it, the principles behind it. Um, you know, your, your third point you made about the misconceptions is it's hard to do it all. I agree with you. You can do it all. Um, it just needs to be intentional. So talk to us about how that came about, how it came alive and what, what you, how you've used that with your clients. Well, so with the balance wheel, there's a, there's just a, it's, is, is it, it has four quadrants. It has our professional quadrant, which is job satisfaction, compensation, environment. And then we also have resources, which is our time, talent, treasure. But then it also has relationships and health. The reality is, is that um, most of us old guys, and like I said, I consider myself an old guy. We traditionally have looked at success based on accolades, money, stuff, title, that kind of thing. And, and I don't think that's wrong, but it's not the only measure. Because, you know, we could have, for example, let's say, and I, I've known people who, let's say we have a business owner and she's crushing it. She's making a couple million bucks a year. And she drives Maserati, only flies private, lives in a beautiful home, beautiful second home. On the outside, we'd say, holy smokes, she's, she's doing amazingly well. She's very successful. And we'd be right. But if that success has come at the expense of maybe her relationships, maybe her husband feels, hmm, you know, not, not around that much, and maybe he's not being as faithful. Or maybe the kids are, are acting up and they're having, uh, well, who knows, maybe they're having addiction issues or other challenges. Or let's say that she's doing this, but she can't sleep. She's not fit. She's not happy. She only sleeps with a handful of Xanax. She's worried about you know, her health. That person isn't nearly as successful. Now, on the flip side, I think a lot of the millennials and the Gen Zs are asking the right questions. They're focused more on, let's look at our, the positivity around our relationships and our health, our spiritual, our physical, and our mental. But I would argue that if that's all you focus on, you're going to be destined to live the rest of your life in your parents' basement. So, so we have to come up with some sort of balance. Now, most of the people I've worked with in my advisory practices and, and strategy work has been senior leaders. And, and I see where they're making the money and they're crushing it. But they're like, dude, I, if I start backing off on this, I don't know. You know, the business will suffer. Other things are going to get a hit. And, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I, if I take my eye off that prize. And there may be a little adjustment. But every time, Greg, every time, once people actually embrace the concept that, look, if you're on a plane, they say, in the unlikely event of loss of cabin pressure, put your oxygen mask on first before you try and help others. If you can put your oxygen mask on first and define what balance is in your life and actually be well-rounded, I would argue that the best thing a heavy-duty CEO could do is go for an hour walk by themselves every morning. You know, I would argue that the best thing they could do is to have a two-hour dinner at least twice a week with their spouse where their phone isn't even in the same room. Those types of things are going to help, but it grows exponentially. And the balance wheel is a 60-question assessment. It takes about six minutes that will give you an immediate snapshot of results of where you are. So, Fantastic. So thank you for that. Chris, let's work back in time. You know, Chris is a kid to Chris is now. Walk us through your journey. I mean, how, clearly you didn't wake up one day and here you are. You've 
as I said in our opening, 35 years of business experience, a handful of different types of companies. But even prior to that, like, where'd you grow up? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I've never had that asked, so thank you. <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in Nebraska, and we live half time in Nebraska now and half time in the high country of Colorado. Um, parents were, dad's an attorney, my mom was a teacher and school principal. Um, I grew up where I had some pretty severe learning challenges. So I looked at the world differently. I, I often say I have the handwriting of a four-year-old and I spell phonetically. So, you know, people are like, okay, they'll, they'll have to deal with it. Um, but it sort of forced me to look at, at the world differently anyway. And it forced me to solve problems differently because I never really fit. And then um, I started my first, I, I started multiple entrepreneurial companies when I was a kid, you know, from lawn mowing to shoveling to simple things, but started my first company when I was 19. It was a clothing design manufacturer and wholesale company um, where I technically a designer by trade, by education, um, which is most people don't believe, but I, I did that because I was, it was fun and it was a good way to meet girls. So there's your motivations if I'm really honest, but uh through that, I've had over 15 different companies and I have built them and bought them and sold them. And I've only had two that went completely sideways. Uh, one was because Google changed an algorithm that they didn't like, even though we were all white hat, which I watched 5,000 websites disappear in 12 hours, which was an interesting experience. Um, and, but but overall, I, I constantly have learned and really embraced and had fun figuring out, I don't know, just figuring out how it works. To me, it's as much fun figuring out how. I've had a couple of decent little exits, nothing huge, but some decent ones. So the finances are good. But I, I really, really love empowering others and helping others to, to think differently. And you know, my strategy practice, how we've, we've got two organizations that they've gone from basically startup to billion-dollar market caps. I've got probably uh, 10 companies that we've gone from startup to heavy eight-figure exits. Uh, I don't know how many we've been able to have 10x on their growth. Um, so I, I really enjoy that, but I'm really loving the life on your terms programs where I actually work with, I worked with a YPO forum uh, last week out in Nantucket, which is kind of fun. And then I work with leadership teams just to help the entire team look at success differently, but it's amazing what it does for cohesion. Certainly. Where my curiosity went, when you were telling that, that story, I'd love to hear you talk about your how you go from an idea or solving a problem, an idea, to actually starting a business, right? I imagine we've got audience members who's got a thousand different business ideas tucked into their head, as I do. Walk us through taking your idea from, this is a great idea, to actually being a business? So in my, in my book, The Aspiring Solopreneur, we specifically talk about that. To me, uh, people say, oh, you're an entrepreneur. You're a big risk taker. I have to say I'm, I'm not. I'm very risk adverse. I'm willing to make a calculated risk, but I, I'm not a big risk taker. And I, to me, a risk would be working for someone who my mouth could get me in enough trouble that they could say you're fired. That to me is a, that's, that's risky. But for, for me, I, I like the idea of trying to get an, uh, a business idea. And I have, I have probably tested 
300. You know, I, I love going through that process and looking at it. Um, and rarely, though, is that one idea the big thing. Mostly those ideas, it, it may be the seed, but it typically pivots to something else that pivots to something else that ends transitioning to here. And that's where we have to be open and curious to see where it takes us. So I love taking a, an idea and getting it about 80% there, not all the way, just conceptually. And then going out and finding a good peer group or people who are in that community and talking to them and saying, hey, I'm, I would love your feedback, man. I'm looking at doing this. I'm not selling you. I want your feedback. I want you to be really candid, unfiltered, direct. I'm looking at doing this and this and this. And as a result, it would produce this and this and this. Where's your head go with that? And see what the feedback is and how that looks. And it's amazing how when you start doing that, if you, if, if I come and Greg and I try and sell you something in our society today, you're likely going to go stonewall. No, 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 I'm out. But if I come to you and I ask you, would, can you give me a hand? Would you be willing to give me 15 minutes to help me with something? Most people are like, of course, I'd love to. You get their feedback, their opinions, and then say, hey, do you know anybody that would be interested in this? And then, well, you know, we would be. Okay. Or let me introduce you to these other people. But if you can get to where you have an idea that's proof of concept, POC, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Done is better than perfect, knowing we're going to do constant iterations. But if you can get two or three people say, yeah, we'd like that. If you can get it at this, well, now you've got somebody who's willing to pay you for something. You likely are starting to get on the right track. And it's a quick, easy way of testing that. But also in the book, we, we talk about how to build a, a free but great board of advisors who can help you look at the other pieces around that. You know, what are, what are our financial liabilities? What do we have any legal exposure? Do we have any accounting issues? Do we have any insurance? What are all the pieces around that to make sure that, well, geez, by the time we make this legal and compliant, we're going to have to charge three times as much. Is it still viable kind of thing? So does that answer your question? It, it does, certainly. Um, my one follow-up on that, this topic, where do you find that peer group? This is where this has been a challenge to me for the millennials is just start talking to people. Mm. It is amazing how people are like, well, I'm not going to call my competitors. Why not? The worst they're going to do is maybe hang up on you or well, they're going to steal my idea. Okay, well, then call somebody on the other side of the, of the country and Google them and say, what do you do? And say, hey, I'm looking at doing this or Call somebody who does an adjacent business. Maybe it's not the same business, but hey, I'm doing this. You don't know me from Adam, but I'm looking at trying to do this and this. Where does that work? But the number of people, the comments I've gotten in the aspiring solopreneur with people who started that way, um, the, the number of people are like, yeah, you know, I wanted to start my own accounting business, but I didn't. I was looking at specifically helping construction companies and this and this, and I wanted to do smaller to start and things like that. I actually, I called three accounting companies and they're like, you know, let's meet. You seem like a good guy. Let me give you some referrals because we've got overload work. Or maybe we can get you to contract with us. Or yeah, you know what? If you want to contract with us for 20%, we're only going to pay you 70% of your, of your rate, but we get a deal, you get a deal. 
and that way you get that baseline. But but this way people can slowly transition. I get nervous when people say I'm starting a business. I I, I just quit my job. I just went and rented something. Now I'm going to look at building the business plan. I'm just like, oh God, <laughs> you know that's that's. So I I would rather, um, as an Omaha boy, there's there's the investor Warren Buffett, but his right hand is a guy named Charlie Munger, and Charlie's an old curmudgeon, and he talks about no brainers. To me, same thing. When somebody gets ready to pull the ripcord and start their own business, they should basically be saying, "Would I be an idiot not to do this?" Yeah. Then it's a go. If it's like, yeah, I don't know, still pretty risky. Well, do some more research. Keep pivoting. Keep pushing to a different level. So does that that answer that? Yeah, you nailed it. Thank you. Um, Changing focus a little bit. Let's talk about your ideal client or the the businesses, the leaders that you've been working. Somebody listening to this and considering taking on an advisor or a coach who fits into you, your approach? Well, talk to us about your sort of ideal person you want to work with. So I've, I've been I've been really selective with the areas that I've been focusing on in my strategic advisory practice. Um, I, I only have a handful of people that I work with. Um, those particular companies, I look for, for companies that are in uh, disruptive businesses that have high scalability, high growth potential, that have a strong willingness to, to change and learn. Those, those three things, amazing things can happen. But for life on your terms, the primary area, the ideal client for me is the person or leadership group that's achieved more than they ever thought possible. They've achieved amazing success. And yet they're sitting there. And if they're truly honest with themselves, they really aren't very happy. They don't know what that next chapter is. They have, they've achieved everything everybody's told them to, and yet they're not happy or they're not in alignment with their spouse. Those are the people I really love working with because those are the people who have really high bandwidth, high power, lots of opportunity, but they just don't know what to do. They're stuck. And, and once we start to, to get unstuck, it makes all the difference. So I take organizations, individuals, people through the same four steps. Everybody's at one of four phases. Stabilize, visualize, strategize, or execute. You have to learn how to stabilize. We got to be able to stop, get a breath, so we can work on ourselves or on the business. Visualize. This is the biggest challenge for for those successful business owners, is really defining what amazing looks like on that holistic level. Where is it we want to go? Once we define that, then it comes down to creating strategies. To ex- and then lastly is ruthless, consistent execution. Fantastic. And it sounds like, it doesn't sound like you just said that. So you work with individuals one-on-one as well as groups. And I believe you've got an online presence and your book. What other tools do you have out for people to, to start start their journey? Well, most of the online work is the life on your terms work is, is through a, an online group uh, at lifeon-yourterms.com. And, and with that, occasionally I'll do, uh, I'll do specific work or talks um, like with EO groups or YPO groups. Or, uh, I'm, I actually headed to the Caymans next week to work with a bunch of uh, high-end uh, medical insurance group. But 
it's it's finding out those people who are realizing that we're in a very transitional time stabilization wise. It's a different group. So the the two the primary site is for people to go to lifeon-yourterms.com. They can get a hold of me there. I do also have the entrepreneurial advisor site, entadv.com. Uh, you asked resources. I didn't answer your question. Sorry. Uh, there's there's five books out there. There's the aspiring solopreneur, uh, uh, an unemployed workbook for the unemployed, underemployed, and miserably employed to help people figure out how to be happy. And then the uh, life in your terms, Mabel. Wonderful. Wonderful. So my final question, um, looking forward, what excites you about the future? If you watch the news media, the world is ending, the sky is falling, everything is horrible. I think we are in some of the most exciting, abundant times ever. Mm. I think change is going to happen so fast. And for those people who can ride that out and be prepared, the opportunities are almost limitless. It's extraordinary. I think we live in some of them. We're going to look back and just be, it, it's going to blow the industrial revolution out of the water. I, I truly believe that because of the convergence of technologies and a bunch of other disruptive things that are happening. So that, and I think there's a massive awareness that's being created to look at success differently, that it's not just about the money. And, and that, that collective consciousness is really intriguing. I don't exactly know what it looks like yet, but I think it'll be fun. That sounds like a great ride. Any yeah. other tips or tricks for the audience before we let them go? Well, I, I did want to say, and uh, dude, again, thank you so much for having me on. And I, I want to say as a, as a thank you to you and your listeners, if anybody's interested in learning more about the Life on Your Terms program, lifeon-yourterms.com, then go to that website and use uh, your uh, promo code, Greg M. Just go there and there'll be a place in there or send me an email. And I'll make sure and I'll give them all a 10% discount. So again, just as a, as a thank you for for letting me be uh, be part of your, your group today. Yeah, it's very generous, Chris. And I appreciate it. And those, the link to that and the promo code and Chris's contact information will all be in our show notes. So scroll down if you weren't able to write that down fast enough. But again, Chris, it was an amazing being with you today. I think your books have impacted my life for sure. Um, I'm on your path and I, I love it. I'm loving every minute. And I hope our audience members start their path after listening to our podcast today. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.